Freedom and censorship can't exist in the same world. And that's true whether it's the government or private corporations who do the censoring. Hi, I'm Ron Coleman, and welcome to the Coleman Nation podcast. It's a show where I sit down with guests to discuss the future of free expression and thought in our interconnected world. Here, we will focus on issues involving social media, cancel culture, and free expression that everybody who cares about ideas or freedom should be wrestling with. Mark John Rondaza, First Amendment lawyer. Culminators, it's right there. It's right there for you. I don't even, if, if ever there was someone who needs no introduction, it obviously isn't Mark Rondaza because he had to tell you who he is or at least who he thinks he is. Marco, what's going on? Come stai, bello? Guys, if, if only, if only, if only we had the long form necessary to regale the culminators with the many tales of our adventures together. <laughs> Mark, the, the thing about you is no preparation is necessary. You're not pushing a book. Nope. I come to you at this, right. at this time asking you to tell me first amendment free speech anything going on nah not really <laughs> it's been great <laughs> no. talking to you mark you too have a nice day now you in massachusetts today uh allegedly allegedly yes okay for today but i'm uh, i'm off i'm off to aruba to, uh, the day after tomorrow such a cliche thing to do go to aruba you know i had to get, i had to go on vacation I haven't taken a vacation in so long. It was like, okay, where can I get a ticket to and a hotel room in a nice uh, on a beach right now? That's not and a I, bad idea. That's yeah, good. I was actually going to Sri Lanka, but uh, going to just be a, a much longer. I, I didn't want to have to fly all the way to Qatar and then overnight there. So here we go. All right, tell me what. Tell me what. Tell me what you think the state of free speech is right now, and what you think we might be able to do. If, to get, make it even better. You know, I, when I was uh, much younger than I am now, one of the things that inspired me to want to be a First Amendment lawyer was learning about the McCarthy years. And I thought, you know, everybody likes to look back. I, I think everybody imagines themselves as a, as a player in a struggle uh, that they found heroic in the past, okay? so. Who wouldn't Mark, like to I got, see Mark, I, I just, I got to tell you, yeah. the vast majority of people are utterly comfortable being NPCs, okay? Don't I, kid yourself. I, I don't know any of those people. <laughs> okay. I, I have that would explain a lot. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's like, but, you know, come on. No, nobody, nobody watches the, the flag being hoisted over Iwo Jima and says, well, I sure wish I was pumping gas uh, in, a, in, a, in, in Topeka at that point. And, you know, people look at the civil rights struggle and say, you know, I, I, I wish I could have been there to link arms with Dr. King on that bridge. Um, you know, and, and I think that leads to a lot of people making really dumb decisions and really bad decisions and really antisocial decisions when they're not in that environment. So, you know, I try to, try to remember, I, I am not a player in a historical event that's already happened, but I used to come to this too, you know, and I look at, uh, you know, and I look at the, 
the McCarthy days. And I remember watching the, the movie, Good Night and Good Luck and saying, boy, you know, I wish I had been there at the time. So when somebody said, are you now, or have you ever men, been a member of the communist party? I could have sincerely and honestly answered, go fuck yourself. Because that was the only proper answer at that time for any, that was the, the most American thing you could have said at that time. And, you know, I found it really remarkable when, um, you know, when the, when the 2016 surprise happened and vengeance must, uh, was, was to be visited upon everybody who didn't uh, support Her Royal Highness, that all of a sudden, all the people who I, I used to fantasize about such things with, all of a sudden said, well, it's not suppression of free speech, it's a private company. These are all private things that are happening. This is wonderful, why do you hate this? And I thought, would you have been saying that same thing to, to McCarthy? You know, it is, it is really a repeat of that event that we are seeing right now. Now we also have, you know, for the first time I can think of, in, uh, in, in the, uh, you know, at least in my lifetime, when we had a real union of the press and the government to try to suppress dissent. Ah, so you're getting right to my screen share. Oh, okay, yeah. Which was this incredible event involving a client of our firm, not a representation of ours, because we don't do criminal laws as a general rule, but this was the, uh, the Biden case, the DOJ, the Ashley Biden diary, the New York Times, and you piped in. Yes. Perfect. If only there were a group of First Amendment lawyers, maybe an association thereof. Capital A association. Yes. And, uh, and, and, and our friend, Harmeet, for a chick, she knows how to do a topper. <laughs> that was a damn good one. Yes. And there's, of course, our friend, <laughs> the driest wit of them all. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so do you ever poke at these people? Do you ever ask them what happened to you or uh, they all blocked you? Uh, I do. But, you know, their question is what happened to you? Because I was such a loyal member of the resistance uh, during the Bush administration, for example, which is when we became friends. And, and I don't think you agreed with me on anything I had to say back then. And what was funny is it didn't affect our ability to be friends at all. Uh, I consider you to be a mentor of mine. Uh, I didn't ever feel any less mentored uh, or any less of a mentee. Even though I supported Bush Hitler. And it, yes, I look, I thought Bush was the I still think George W. Bush is the worst president of my lifetime. Well, you until this year. I, I, I do think that no, you, you can think he's worse than Biden. Because he because Biden hasn't started a, a war as such. So you can't really, you know, yeah. but in terms of like, I would think that cogni cog cognition, cog cognition, cognition would be one of the criteria for good versus not so good presidents, but all right, fine. A quibble, a quibble. Yes. And by the way, I'm much closer to your view now than I was that. Ironically, you view a number of things now the way I might have done as well. You know, such um, as 
everybody likes to say they're so principled and I and I'm the first one to say I, I feel like I stand on a principle um, and but I'm you know I'm not a Sith it's not unwavering and and absolute either but you know I don't feel like the I've changed politically at all I just feel like the the border shifted over me and now I find myself in what would have one time to me been enemy territory except as soon as I found myself in enemy territory, I wasn't locked up and chained away or, or heckled. It was, uh, I was invited in for lunch and, uh, and, and for a trip to the beach. You know, and, and I found the- By the enemies you mean, by the enemies. <laughs> People who I might've found politically opposed to me uh, two right. administrations ago. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, and it's funny, I, I first noticed that, that real difference um, because I, I went to both caucuses in uh, Nevada in 2016, and it was a really interesting experience. I, no, I wait, was a wait, Bernie. Well, you will do to meet chicks. <laughs> I was a Bernie That's Sanders guy. Yeah, I went to the uh, wow. the Democratic uh, caucus, which you can do this in Nevada. They're a week apart, so you can go you can, to both. Can do pretty much anything in Nevada. So I so I go to the I go to the caucus for the Democrats, and it nearly descended into violence. Uh, there were union enforcers there uh, who were there to make sure that no one from their union went, even listened to somebody who had something to say against Madam Clinton. Nothing. You, I mean, and it literally almost descended into violence. A guy threatened to, to throw me out physically. And I said, you know, uh, you may try, but I will guarantee you you will not leave here with the same number of teeth you have right now. <laughs> and, uh, and then I was told I was going to be thrown out. And I said, I fucking dare you. And so, you know, it, it eventually, that was the end. You know, people followed me out of the thing, yelling at me that they were going to lose their health care if Clinton didn't get elected. I'm like, what health care do you have now that you're going to lose? But, and then, so I, I went to the Republican one a week later after nearly getting into a fist fight at the Democrat one. And I have a suit that I wear to uh, court cases that was only $90 because I figure if I'm going to get a brick thrown at me and bleed on it, I don't want to do it onto a nice suit. So I wore my fighting suit to the Republican caucus and sat down and then they said, okay, who, who are you supporting? And I said, well, I'm supporting Bernie Sanders. They said, well, you're at the wrong caucus. I said, no, I'm precisely at the right caucus. I want to convince you guys as to why that's a good idea. And then I waited for the yelling, screaming or whatever, you know, the, the shrill acting like a bunch of, you know, tempestuous children that I encountered at the Democratic caucus and three or four seconds of uncomfortable silence later, they said, okay, so tell us. <laughs> and I went on for 10 minutes and afterwards I was invited by three neighbors to dinner. You know, they said, well, we don't agree with you, but you seem nice and you should come over for dinner. And I, you know, you, I should introduce you to my friend. And I made like all new friends at the table. I said, wait a second, these people are supposed to be crazy angry at me and my own camp is not. And, you know, that, that and also a literal fascist. Oh, literal fascists and Nazis. Don't forget. So not only was it a matter of you're, you're in the wrong caucus and you support the wrong guy, but how can they even be courteous to you as, as a human being? They're, they're, they're fascist. 
not just courteous, but sweet. Um, you know, and and I've often found that when I, you know, when I do disagree with uh, with people on the right, uh, I, I find the the level of now I didn't find that during the Bush years. You know, I found if you uh, supported the right of a, a professor to teach Islamic studies, like we had an issue in Tampa where they wanted a, you know, they brought a guy up on charges for supporting terrorism for buying a book from the wrong guy. I found that disgraceful, you know, uh, and. During the porn wars, I will tell you, I, I certainly had a significant number of people who reached out to me telling me that uh, they would smite me and then God would. And I just, you know, I have a, I, I will not pretend to know what God wants, but I will acknowledge that if uh, he created the heavens, the earths, uh, the, the universe, gravity, nuclear fission uh, and Bernie Sanders, uh, and, and he's concerned about what kind of movies I'm watching. It just seems awfully micromanaging for a supreme being. Uh, you oh, know, no, even there's no managing involved. It's up to you. Everyone agrees it's up to you. It's up yeah. to you. I mean, I just figure, you know, God made Tyrannosaurus Rexes with arms that couldn't reach their genitals. So <laughs> I have ones that can touch mine. Therefore, I presume that I'm using it as expected uh, by the designer uh, if I'm perhaps enjoying myself but the point is you're not your opinion on that as stupid as it is is completely irrelevant because your position is it's should be a matter of uh, you know it's a matter it's a matter of choice a matter of, of individual yes. individual freedom yes if and you don't like these movies don't watch them the only people who have ever been forced to watch a porn movie are juries in <laughs> And a few postmasters, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, even them, I doubt. Back in the day. <laughs> well, you know, don't you think there is some some position other than the most individual rights position that could be reasonable on the issue of whether a society should care about culture about about the about the, about society other than whether my fist actually literally comes in contact with your face no I, I get your point like if it's if it is true is it not is there room for the discussion that it is truly awful for society to have porn in it because that degrades society and we don't want to degrade society Philosophically, yes, there's 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 a, a a gulf of of discussion we can have about that. Well, there's um, your whole problem, Mark. You believe that there's a that there's room for discussion on controversial issues. No wonder you you don't have any friends anymore. Yeah, it it, it make it makes it lonely, but it's okay. Uh, but so there's, look, there, there's essentially no law against porn of any kind in America anymore. So we're past that. No, uh, yeah, yeah. If, if you involve children. Yeah. then it becomes a consent issue. It's not really a porn issue, thanks to Justice Kennedy. So let's move to what's really going on now. You mentioned terrorism. I'm pretty sure you and I are, if not actual terrorists, certainly under many definitions, um, aiding and abetting terrorism because we do consider certain things to be permissible to be uh, questioned and discussed in the public sphere. Agreed. I, I thought it was just fine 
for there to be a huge, massive protest against the inauguration of uh, Donald Trump in 2016. Uh, it, well, January of 17, but I, I didn't support them uh, setting everything on fire around that time, breaking store windows, but you know, nobody reported on that. That wasn't really important. That was just the downtrodden speaking up. Uh, but yeah. What, what happened? I mean, I, I guess it's, a, I mean, look, this, this could be good. We have to avoid turning this into the most possible cliched conversation where we talk about whatever happened to the ACLU. We know what happened to the ACLU. They're done. They're done. They're finished. They, you know, history has moved on and yeah. they are the, uh, the, uh, what is it? The hood ornament on the ash can of history. <laughs> so yeah. let's, let's, let's dig a little bit deeper. Okay. We know that elites are no longer committed. The people, you know, that you used to look up to the social, the, um, the civil rights organizations that you used to be active in are no longer useful. Mm -hmm. the, the, the Floyd Abrams Institute for Freedom of Expression is suing the Gateway Pundit for having the audacity to report on its views about the election. Now, if that isn't enough to invoke the image of Walter Sobchak screaming on the, out on the lane, asking, has the whole world gone effing crazy? I, I, I don't know what is. That, that's even worse than the ACLU losing its way. I'm, I'm just stunned at it. So tell us about that. I, well, I can only tell you a little because I'm counsel of record in that case. Oh, uh, okay. Well, tell us then the facts of record or, or the, uh, the, the, the elevator pitch. Funded, uh, which we're both familiar with reported that it thought it saw something fishy happening in Atlanta on election night. And it laid out the reasons for its opinion, showed what it thought, and, you know, not, not, which is frankly far, far less of an indictment on what happened than things I screamed about in 2000 or in 2004. I mean, I remember when it was, I got a lot of attaboys from the, from the uh, corporate press for my position on how I thought the year 2000 election was crooked. And for my efforts in 2004, working on vote pairing to try to ensure that it wouldn't happen again. All of that was just, just dandy. Uh, NPR loved interviewing me back then, you know? It, 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 uh, and I got to go on Fox News as the, uh, as the liberal punching bag back then. Um, but today, you know, if you even question, and personally, I, I, don't, I don't think, it even matters. Like I don't ask the question: Was the twenty uh, was the twenty twenty election crooked? That's not our. Yeah, that's not that's not our topic today. It, it doesn't, right, really, doesn't matter. But as far as I'm concerned, it just doesn't matter because even if I could show you, uh, you know, I can I can open up uh, the box of divinity and show you every single event that caused it, and it was crooked. It Constitutionally, Joe Biden's still president. That's right. There's no duality. Well, I'm not interested in wasting my time on whether it was or whether it wasn't. But I do think everybody not only has a right to, but a duty to question the ver veracity of the election. Why wouldn't you? And why would you be so afraid of people questioning it if you didn't have something to hide? That's the part that really makes me wonder, is there something more missing than I know about because it is like you can be driven out, out of the public sphere for just asking that question. 
just asking you, what's with the suitcase under the table? <laughs> a little weird. <laughs> there might be a perfectly reasonable explanation for it, but I would like to know what the heck was going on there. You know, yes, water yes, main yes. broke, but then a water main didn't break. Sure seems interesting to me as to what the heck actually happened. Um, but uh, yes, the, the Hofts find themselves as defendants in a defamation lawsuit by the poll workers uh, for asking these questions and for sharing the opinion that they think something crooked happened. And the part about, you know, I don't necessarily find it troubling that it's, that the lawsuit's happening at all. But when I saw the Floyd Abrams Institute for Freedom of Expression on the signature line for the plaintiffs, you know, I, I, I went full Walter Sobchak. What's the rationale? Have you, have you, have you heard it? Have you heard them enunciated somewhere? You know, I, I hear an awful lot of, well, that's different. I mean, I haven't asked. No, that. no, I don't mean that. I mean, prima facie, what would be the freedom of expression? I mean, their donors are doing freedom of, are giving money for freedom yeah. of expression advocacy. What's right. the freedom of expression angle on a defamation plaintiff's case? I mean, if you if you want to force me to switch sides and make the argument, I, I no, guess no, I, not I, I don't want you to make the substantive argument. But do you even know what what like usually like they find a way to stick it into the complaint, right? Why? What no, do they, they say? Didn't. They didn't. Ron, there are like maybe seventeen people in the entire country who actually believe in freedom of expression, and two of them are here right now. Right. So, <laughs> We wouldn't and, and one of them is producing us. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure you. <laughs> you seriously fill a very small school bus with a quorum of us. So, uh, you know, unfortunately, there are a lot of people, I think, for whom freedom of expression is for me, but not for thee. And it it is a tool rather than a principle of its own. And, you know, to, to uh, I am not of, of the mind that we should never think about another way of governing society. I happen to believe and have pledged that I am interested in a far reaching amount of freedom of expression, almost limitless, um, and because I think that's the best way to get there. And I think that that's the contract we have with each other called the constitution. And if you wanna sit down and say, but there are some kinds of expression that are so bad, we shouldn't allow them at all. And some things you just shouldn't be able to express. Like I have one. One, I would actually amend the Constitution to eliminate one kind of speech if I could. And I think if you put a depiction of drowning in a movie or a TV show that is loud and splashing and somebody screaming, help, help, you should be imprisoned. Because that's not what drowning looks like. And kids die every year because they slip quietly under the water right next to their mother who doesn't hear them yelling. Maybe oh two years. Oh but my hey, gosh. I think, I think, you know, so I'm, I'm not completely close to the idea of having some wise warrior priests who can sit in a room and say, this expression is bad, this expression is good. And if they say, depictions of eight-way gangbangs are, are, are just too bad for society, we need to amend the constitution to uh, to open up the obscenity laws, as it were. Uh, you know, I, I'm not I'm not entirely against that idea, but I'm against that idea under the constitution that we have right now. 
Okay, but but now our problem, putting aside this fascinating case we're handling for DC Drano in California, where they outsourced government censorship to Twitter, mm-hmm. putting aside that smoking gun case, we've outsourced censorship. Yeah. To Twitter and, and to YouTube. And the government doesn't have to even do anything because everyone is working toward the Fuhrer. Yeah. Um, the Constitution, by all our lights, is almost certainly not implicated. I think there are lots of legal issues involved with what the social media uh, companies do, including, I think, I think it is frank, basically a, um, a fraudulent consumer practice to encourage people to come onto a platform to help build it up, to contribute content, to make investments in it, and then to arbitrarily, don't give me this terms of service shit, arbitrarily take away their account with no compensation and no right of recourse. But that's not a constitutional issue. That's that's just my Federal Trade Act issue that nobody's paying any attention to. What do we do about that? Uh, Well, I, I think it's too late for us to do anything about it. You know, I started yelling about it before it was in vogue to do so. You were, you were, you, you know, I just want to quickly make a point that, you know, you're, um, you're coming to, coming to Jesus, so to speak, uh, on, you know, fine, or, or acknowledging that the landscape had moved around you. Yeah. As um, you were among the very first, I, you know, I, I, I speak to a lot of people and for the podcast, quite a few, many of whom you know, um, who have had that same experience, but by, you are absolutely the first, the first. Even well, I'll tell you when we were working on the Slants case, yep. in the trademark bar, I got so many dirty looks from these snooty intotypes, not David Bernstein, of course. He was very big on free speech, and and he, and he 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 got us where we needed to be, but I won't name names, but na- names we would know and who have co-sponsored events with us, because because our case, I think there were two things. One is that it was politically incorrect, and secondly, it was going to make their pristine area of practice potentially. Icky. Randazified. Randazified. <laughs> okay, so now go back to what you were. So you started screaming about it years ago. And you know, I, I first started feeling like the social media companies were a problem when uh, a friend of mine that, it, well, a, a guy reached out to me. Um, his name's Dan Shafet, if you've ever heard of him. He's a, he's a, uh, a Danish Jewish lawyer who lives in Paris. So a, a Jewish Viking uh, living, living in Paris, but he's a, he's a really smart guy. And he uh, asked me to join the board of this organization for internet accountability. And it was because back then, you know, I worked for a lot of Section 230 protected companies. In fact, the, I, I pay my mortgage, uh, my, the down payment on my house, and, and then some came from Section 230 defense. Believe me, I, I'm, I've, uh, I've argued against what I believe many, of time, many times for, for a fee. 
uh, I'm a prostitute, what can I say? But I've done quite well with it. Um, but, you know, it always bothered me when we'd get these demand letters from people. And, you know, you'd look at it and say, there's a real human being here who is suffering. You know, and, and I, uh, for example, I worked for a, a website. Uh, well, before I worked for a website that did this, I, I got, a, I had a woman who called me and said, I've got people putting me on this website saying that I was sleeping around and doing all these terrible sexual things and they won't take it down. And it's now being used against me in a custody case and I'm going to lose my kids because the judge is taking this at face value because it's on the internet. And uh, I said, okay, I'll take you as a client, but uh, on two conditions. One, I, I will not take a fee for this. And two, you got to let me do it my way. So I wrote a letter to the company and I said, and I started with an explanation of section 230. I said, I got nothing. I literally have nothing with which to threaten you with at all. But I do want to appeal to you and, and tell you like, this is what's happening because of this. And I hope that you, whoever reads this, has some better nature that they're willing to do something about it. And 15 minutes after I sent that fax, that's how long ago this was, uh, the president of the company called and said, I'm taking it down and you're my new lawyer. Um, but you know, he, was, he really operated ethically like that. He would look at everything on a case-by-case -case basis. Then he would ask if he didn't really know what to do, he'd ask a couple of lawyers to talk amongst themselves and figure out what the right thing to do was. You know, every single takedown had a bit of thought in it. Um, but I worked for a lot of other companies where the answer was just up yours, Section 230. We don't care, Section 230. Nothing we're going to do about it, Section 230. And it just didn't, it didn't feel entirely right. I think that these companies have a responsibility to care at least a little bit about what's happening to people as a result of their content. That now sounds very opposed to the idea that they should be wide open and robust. I think there is a place for some kind of a soul there. What I don't like is they have this, you know, this sort of Stalinist, thou hast sinned, and, and then you will just be banished. Yeah, and yes, you can come onto Twitter where we advertise we are the free speech wing of the free speech army of the free speech empire. <laughs> but then, and we brought a, I actually worked on a case where we brought a suit against um, Twitter for unfair and deceptive trade practices. And the judge, and it was an old liberal judge in San Francisco. And I was like, this is a suicide mission. And uh, the judge actually said, yeah, you, you have a point. That's getting past this motion to dismiss. You can't just have a Darth Vader clause in your terms that say, we can change the terms at any time, pray we don't change them further, and then change them later on and then have nothing to answer for. It was a really one of the most remarkable cases ever because the elation I felt as we left that courtroom, stepping over piles of human feces, you know, on our way to uh, to celebrate. Oh, that one was rel relatively recent then. Uh, a couple of years ago, yeah. Yeah, and I think so I remember. The, and what did it settle? Uh, no, what happened is I remember the, this. Yeah, the California Court of Appeals sua sponte issued an opinion a couple days later saying that. If this were appealed to them, they would immediately smack it down and reverse it. And the judge should reconsider. Sua sponte? It didn't even ha have jurisdiction, you would think. We didn't even have the opportunity to file a reply brief. 
It was just, we're, we're not going to, now, who do you think picked up a phone there? Unbelievable. You know? I and, never, and did you ever write about this? No, or because- did you not? No. Uh, you thought, yeah, it, you thought, I, it, I, I figured you thought it better not to. I figured yeah. the phone and did that, you know, we were done and we were done. So the, um, you know, my, my real worry is when power gets concentrated into too tiny of hands, we have a problem. So anyway, so I started working for this organization, which really is, you know, some people could say is a anti-free speech organization, but I agreed to be there as the free speech foil and to acknowledge that, you know, if you're going to have a notice and takedown regime, for example, or copyright, like the DMCA, you reckon it's, it's a recognition that we, we have people put work into something and you should have a right to take it down if it belongs to you. Well, why shouldn't you have that for privacy purposes, for reputational purposes? Well, you know, I'm oh, sorry. Then then the right to be forgotten issue when that came up in Europe, I was thrilled with that. I, I think it's a wonderful thing. I mean, look, you and I, dangerous places between us and a TV camera, okay? But, you know, the, there are plenty of other people who don't want to talk to the press, who want to be non-player characters. And you know, they should have that right to have that and shouldn't be defined by a foreclosure from 15 years ago, like, uh, you know, like the guy in that case was. Well, in a related, on a related vein, but I was about to say, but you, you really actually hit it right on. Our whole concept of open courts is understandable and it's as it should be, but, but. We shared a client once where I made a motion asking a judge to uh, uh, seek a protective order that would prevent a deposition from being videotaped or at least not used outside the, outside the litigation. Mm -hmm. And I said, listen, there's no, there's no bona fide reason why this should be used, but our client's privacy is likely in our view, according to, because the, the plaintiff's attorney in this case is a lunatic. And I think he ended up sending, selling cars within a few months of this motion. Um, and we think the only reason they're even taking the deposition is so that they can get the guy's face on video and put it up on a website. Yep. And the judge said, Oh no, no, that doesn't cut it. And I think that's a problem. Yeah. And I think, the idea of open courts and open court files made a lot of sense when a person, when in order to look at a case file and look at a docket, someone who knew his way around had to get up, figure out where the files live, identify himself or herself to, you know, to a clerk, sit down with the paper file and read. And maybe there could even be allowances for making copies. I don't, you know, I, I don't have the principal basis for objective to that. But the idea that everything that is docketed and everything that might happen in a court case is on the world's wide web for universal perusal. I, I, I don't think that one necessarily follows from the other. Hmm. And we have seen litigation used and how many times do you get a call from calls from people say they 
they know they won't win, but they want to put p- public pressure on the, you know, so that used yeah. to be a lot harder because you used to have to get a newspaper to print the story. And what clients don't understand is that newspapers are not interested in run-of-the-mill civil cases. Of course, also- They're not even interested in exceptional cases. That's right. That's right. And law enforcement is not interested in how much your partner cheated at all. Believe me, they're too busy, you know, with uh, finding people who are in, in Washington on January 6th, whatever. Right. So- you know, I think to some extent, we have found ourselves in a world because of our transparency fetish. We might have overdone it a little bit. And we're, you know, I don't know, I don't know how, where I would draw those lines, but, you know, to use your example before, if I were given the opportunity to rewrite the rules of the road, I might say, as the Europeans have, because they, they fetishized privacy instead of fetishizing transparency. Maybe there's a, a comfortable halfway point because, you know, I can't say every single thing I ever did is necessarily something I want people finding on the internet. I agree with that. I, I think that, you know, I really do think uh, that a right to privacy is something that we need um, and, and I think nothing has made that more apparent than how the social media companies, you think the social media companies are evil when it comes to censorship. When it comes to privacy, it's far worse. And this is, this is another time I was ringing that bell. You know, this is back when CNN liked my, uh, having me on as a columnist um, before I became an apostate. Uh, but, you know, they, they, I wrote that we need a right to be forgotten online. We need a right to privacy. Whether that I would extend that to courts, um, I'm not saying I wouldn't. I'm just saying it, it's such a you new hadn't idea. necessarily thought about it. Uh huh. I yeah. never thought about it before, but you know, on the other hand, I'd say maybe a counter argument to that is that um, I wonder if Kyle Rittenhouse would have gotten a fair trial without TV mm-hmm. cameras in that room every day, you know, and and where we we were able to actually watch that trial in real time, and if you sat and watched that every day as I did you knew what was going on and you knew why. And there was a lot no- of people, yeah, a lot of people have the same reaction. And I think also a lot of people learned right. a, but- a lot of very shocking things about the criminal justice system and about what happens at trials but- and about the skill levels of the <laughs> people entrusted with people's lives in such trials. Yeah, but also, you know, you think right now, we see a lot of people saying, what the heck's going on in the Maxwell trial in New York? Well, there's no camera in the courtroom, so we don't know. And when you don't know the answer, that's fodder for conspiracy theories. That's fodder for losing uh, a, uh, losing trust in the system. Well, it's not only that, you know, in the Southern District, you can't even bring your phone in. You can't even communicate as a reporter, live tweet or report, you know, and I understand where it's coming from, but it's so Southern District of New York yes. to yeah. make virtually no, ex- and the exceptions are worthless exceptions. In other words, if you get an order, you get electronics order, yeah. you can bring your phone in, but God forbid you use it. <laughs> Mark, you know, you- I, I, but I had, a, I had a case a, a long time ago um, I represent a company that brings te- brings TV cameras into courtrooms, uh, and 
they called me and said, we've got a, a pretty easy cakewalk for you. Um, it's gonna take you all of 15 minutes. These are all routine. We wanna have a camera in the courtroom for a civil breach of contract trial in Nevada. And the uh, one party is fighting it. He said, okay. So I walk in and I'm there with my partner who, you know, I always get to argue the fun stuff. And I said, Brian, you, know, you wanna argue this one today? He goes, yeah, sure, what the heck? And we're like two kids in the back pews at church goofing off at that point. And in watch, walks Dershowitz on behalf of the other side. Uh, and, um, Sheldon Adelson had hired him to keep the courtroom closed to the press. Turns into a five-day mini-trial on this issue. This judge was very, very thorough. Um, I still cannot talk about uh, what evidence was put on uh, because it was subject to a seal order. Um, I will tell you that if I ever broke it, you'd yawn and say, what? But yeah, yeah. I will never talk about it because I swore I wouldn't. Yeah. Um, I will just say it was dull. But at the end of it, uh, what wasn't dull is his order. And, and he said, you know, I, I've thought about everything. And where I come down on this is if we want to claim to have a free and fair and open judicial system, uh, what better way to show the world of the majesty of our system than to say, come and see for yourself. So, uh, you know, and he, and it was open. So it and was open. It was, yes, we prevailed on that. But the filings were kept under seal. Well, only, only the uh, argument, only some filings during the arguments of why it should be. Uh, oh, I see. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And I, I, I can't get any further into it than to say there were, Mr. Adelson raised some concerns that the court took uh, as, as worth uh, respecting, but ultimately said, no, the cameras will be here. You know, but I, I had a, uh, and that judge, Judge Barry, he's not on the bench anymore, but uh, just a great judge. I had another, ju another similar case though, where we, uh, it was the largest civil trial in history. It was over this skyscraper in, in, uh, in, in uh, Nevada, in Las Vegas where there were so many different contracting companies and they were all trying to screw each other. So like dumping styrofoam into the cement and like sabotaging things. This whole thing was so screwed up. It was a billion <laughs> dollar construction defect case. There were about, I want to say 250 law firms involved. Wow. So they actually had to modify the courtroom and they pulled where there's just the two benches. Usually there was just bench after bench, after bench, after, after bench for all the law firms to be in there. And then they had three folding chairs by the door. And those were for the public. <laughs> and I said, your honor, we wanna take one of those chairs for the press. And she said, well, you can't. There's only three seats for the public. He said, yeah, but if this camera's here, then anybody can watch from the comfort of their own home. You don't have to have a line of people standing outside taking turns to sit in the three folding plastic chairs. She said, okay, well, if we let you sit there, then where are you gonna put your equipment? There's no room. There's literally no room in the courtroom. And I said, your honor, are you trying to say there's no room in this courtroom for the constitution? <laughs> no, no, you're, you're gonna like this. You're gonna like this this way. So she says, Yes, Mr. Randaza, there's no room for, there's just no physical room. And I said, no, your honor. And I pulled out a tape measure from behind my back. And I said, the constitution is this wide. 
our equipment is this wide. The Constitution is this long. And our equipment is this long. Literally, Your Honor, not just figuratively, not just legally, you're telling me I can't walk in here and lay a copy of the Constitution on any surface in this courtroom? I said, couldn't people scooch for the Constitution? <laughs> and uh, the judge actually wound up. The, the doctrine of constitutional scooch, scooching. Constitutional scooching. Uh, she, she actually held in my favor. And then the next day, now that, and I had 250 oppositions to my motion. I tell you, nothing makes you feel better than standing there like freaking Leonidas at Thermopylae and 250 <laughs> oppositions to your motion come in. And you just, you know, and, and you're supposed to respond to all 250 of them overnight. Uh, you know, naturally the, we just responded with one, but the uh, everybody was upset because nobody wanted this on TV. And she, uh, she ruled in our favor and they were all freaking out about it. And they were, they were thinking of, do we appeal? What happens? And the next morning, I get a call from the cameraman who says the court won't let us plug the equipment in because she says, Your or the order, you didn't ask for permission to plug it in. You just asked for permission to put it here. But before that information got to the attorneys for the litigants, they all said, this is going to be a circus if it's on TV. We need to settle this right now. And they managed to settle. So as a result of that camera being there, and you know, after you deprived I, thousands of families of a uh, substantial income for that year. I did, yes. But you, you know, it's, uh, you know, you, you do have. There's just a difference there between how judges look at it and what really. I mean, what more should be open to the public than the largest construction defect trial in history? Uh, you know, people should know, but I do, I do agree that you can see circumstances where a party would, uh, would abuse that. You know, you do see people filing absolutely uh, insane lawsuits just so that they can hope that the press will pick up fair reportage. And on the, hey, on the other hand, I, you, how much time do you have to spend explaining to clients who are terrified of their spreadsheets, their financials, you know, being uploaded to ECF, I promise you, nobody cares. Yeah. But my competitors, your competitors don't care. No one trusts your accounting anyway. Uh, I don't know. People sometimes care. I mean, look, as a, as a public figure myself, I've had people picking. Uh, my, it, my happens. it happens. It happens. You know? but, mostly, but mostly it doesn't happen. Mark, you have been entertaining as ever i don't know why this took so long but i we're going to do it again soon thank you for joining the culminating podcast ron Culmin uh, thank you for doing the podcast and my, my uh, with, with all sincerity like the deepest amount of sincerity uh thank you for being there and thank you for being my friend for so long well the same here so all long right. guys Hey, thank you for listening to the Coleman Nation podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you like the show, please rate it five stars and leave a review. For more information, please visit the show's website at coleman-nation.com. That's coleman-nation.com. 
or you can visit my blog at likelihoodofconfusion.com. Join us next time on the Coleman Nation podcast and have a great day.